Tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. the intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Thursday, the 8th day of December in 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. On today's show, we'll be talking to Lucinda Carter, She's the director of the French Publishers Agency in New York City. That means she represents France in its efforts to have its contemporary writers translated and published in the United States. We'll also be checking in with Mobiliz Radio's Canada correspondent, George Murray. But first, here's some news from the book world. Harold Pinter used the occasion of his pre-recorded acceptance speech for the Nobel Prize in Literature yesterday to deliver a scathing lecture that was relentless in its criticism of Tony Blair, politicians in general, and the United States in particular. According to a Reuters Wire report, Pinter delivered the address from a wheelchair, and, quote, his frailty and hoarse voice added to the drama of a speech peppered with the potent silences of his plays. Close quote. Pinter said the U.S. and its ally, Great Britain, which he called its own bleeding little lamb, had traded in death and, quote, employed language to keep thought at bay, close quote. Pinter called for, quote, an unflinching, unswerving, and fierce intellectual determination as citizens to define the real truth of our lives and our societies. He added, if such a determination is not embodied in our political vision, we have no hope of restoring what is so nearly lost to us, the dignity of man. Some surprising news from the Pan American Center. The acclaimed writers organization has announced the results of a survey it's been taking of its members for their stance on the question of the Google Print program. The survey found 57% of Pan American members are opposed to the project, meaning that a surprisingly high 43% of its members support it. The program has been under attack from other writers' groups, such as the Authors Guild, as well as the Association of American Publishers and various library guilds. In fact, it has received such steady and vociferous criticism that Google recently changed the name of the program to Google Book Search. The Associated Press reports that Wikipedia, the online encyclopedia that allows Anyone to contribute entries and calls itself the world's largest encyclopedia is tightening its rules for submitting entries following the disclosure that it ran a piece falsely implicating a man in the Kennedy assassinations. The change comes less than a week after John Siegenthaler, who was Robert Kennedy's administrative assistant in the early 1960s, wrote an op-ed piece in USA Today complaining about the Wikipedia biography of him, which claimed he'd been a suspect in the assassination of both Bobby Kennedy and his brother, President John F. Kennedy. The website, which offers over 850,000 articles on a wide variety of topics, now says 
users must register before they can create articles. It has also removed the comments about the Kennedy murders from the Siegenthaler entry. However, Siegenthaler, who went on to a prestigious career as a journalist capped by being editor-in-chief of the Nashville Tennessean, noted his biography still contains some mistakes, including one section that identifies him as a Nazi. Uh, Wikipedia said it would remove that section too. In Dorset, England, doctors, counselors, and psychologists have organized a Books on Prescription program whereby people suffering from mental health problems are being prescribed books from the library. According to a BBC report, a spokesperson explained the service is to help, quote, people with moderate psychological problems to self-help at home. Close quote, the arrangement is coordinated with libraries across the country using book lists including volumes on bereavement, eating disorders, and depression. And finally, Iranian writer Azar Nafizi, author of the best-selling Reading Lolita in Tehran, has announced she's going to expand the kind of reading project she expounded upon in that book, which describes her efforts to secretly conduct reading groups using forbidden Western literature onto the World Wide Web. She tells the Globe and Mail of Toronto that the site will invite conversation on international literature and human rights, and she hopes to have it up and running early next year. Nafizi, who now teaches at Johns Hopkins University after fleeing Iran, told the paper, quote, I keep thinking that our slogan is going to be readers of the world unite. Well, that's the news for Thursday, the 8th day of December, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. It's December 8th. And on this day in literary history, in 65 BCE, Horace, the great Latin poet and satirist, was born in Venosa, a Roman colony in what is now Italy. Horace's boast that he was, quote, the first to have brought over Greek song to Latin measures is not exactly accurate. Catullus actually beat him to that. But it is true that he was the first to emulate the great classical Greek lyric poets, such as Alcaeus and Sappho. And he was the first to adapt the lyric form, usually used to express feelings of love and emotions, to patriotic and more philosophical themes. His satires and epistles contain most of his more intimate work, but it is in the odes, written exclusively in Greek meter, a difficult fit for the Latin language, where he shows off his extraordinary abilities. No Latin writer handled these complex meters with such grace, precision, and lightness of touch. But Horace was disappointed with the Roman public that they did not recognize this and receive his odes more warmly. He defended himself by saying, quote, I don't go on the hunt for the votes of a fickle public by giving dinners. I listen to good writers, return their compliments, but I don't canvass the tribe of literary critics. In his own time, Horace could accurately boast that his Ars Poetica, in which he laid out his own theory of poetry, was extremely popular and sold on the banks of the Bosphorus, in Spain, in Gaul, and in Africa. Ars Poetica discussed with informality such topics as the unity of a poem, 
the importance of decorum, meaning an appropriate fit between language, style, and subject matter, and the necessity of writers to have both innate ability and careful training. Ars Poetica's influence on Western poetry was vast. The text was translated and carried down through the ages. Its first English translation was done by Queen Elizabeth I, and its influence can be seen from the work of Dante to Alexander Pope to John Dryden to the aptly named Horace Walpole. And many of Horace's phrases are still with us today. For instance, he is the one who advised us all to carpe diem, to seize the day. I'm Valerie Marians, and that's this day in literary history. I know my chickens. You got to know your chickens. I know my chickens. You got to know your chickens. This is George Murray of BookNinja.com with the Moby Lives Canada Report. On December 2nd, both Canada's national newspaper, The Globe and Mail, and one of its main competitors, Toronto's largest newspaper, The Toronto Star, announced a $1.3 billion deal in which media giant Bell Globe Media, owner of The Globe and Mail, had a 20% bite taken out of it by Torstar, Torstar Corp, owner of, you guessed it, The Toronto Star. This let me say that number again, $1.3 billion acquisition allows Torstar to get its foot in the door at the television studios of CTV, a large Canadian broadcast network owned by Bell Globe Media. It also brings together two of the biggest papers in Canada and raises issues of monopoly and questions of whether the Toronto Star has aspirations of national paperhood. Sound like a soap opera? It is, and it's getting plenty of play in both papers. But is anyone reading those articles? Does anyone care? Apparently, if you have shares in BCE Incorporated, owner of Bell Globe Media, you do. There are reports of some uh, pretty skeptical investors that need convincing, never mind the skeptical readers who could also use assurances. Some industry experts are perplexed at the deal, citing financial worries at Bell Globe Media and strategy issues that I basically understand nothing about. It seems to me the main question for readers across Canada is whether the Globe and Mail, notorious for its high opinion slash scant news content, will start to actually cover the news like the Toronto Star does. In Books News, Michael Posner writes in the Globe that English language fiction sales have been hit with the ugly stick here in Canada. He interviews a number of industry people, including booksellers, publishers, and for some reason agents, to ask why. Several people cite the lingering effects of 9-11, after which it seems most book buyers turn to non-fiction information sources, such as the plethora of books on Islam and terrorism. I'm not sure how much this is the case up here, where no one is really interested in bombing the cold little clusters of smiling people with beers in their hands, but I see the point. Others in the article cite the influence of blockbuster books such as The Da Vinci Code and Harry Potter, saying that these titles chew up an inordinate amount of each book buyer's budget for fiction. A further problem agreed on by Nicholas Hoare bookseller Ben McNally and Penguin Canada's publisher Barbara Burson is a population problem on the shelves. As Burson says, quote, there is overpublication. There are so many books out there. Some of them are worthy, some of them aren't. I do believe the great ones rise to the fore, but they can be obscured by the glut. That can lead to a dulling of the senses, end quote. Also dulling the senses, say respondents, is the competition for people's attentions and dollars with DVDs and movies. 
I guess the invention last year of Hollywood has had a bigger impact than we could have imagined. Coincidentally, the theory given the shortest shrift in the article is also the one that's likeliest, likeliest to have stalled the book buying in the Murray household, the price of books. At almost $40 per hardcover, I'll wait for the paperback. Lastly, the Canada Reads list for 2006 has been announced. Canada Reads is our national book-slash-fight club scenario in which five celebrity guests each pick a book and then debate their book's merits on CBC Radio, our national broadcaster. Each week, one book is voted off the proverbial island until we're left with a champion that the whole country is supposed to read. This year's list is notable because three of the five authors are actually still alive. Further, uh, this is the first time that the list contains a poetry title, Rooms for Rent in the Outer Planets, by Canada's late great popular poet Al Purdy. The other books are well-known fiction titles and include Joseph Boyden's Three-Day Road, Francis Atani's Deafening, Mordecai Richler's Cocksure, and Marion Taves' A Complicated Kindness. I'm sure I'll be rooting for the old Al, but would be happy with any of these choices. Coincidentally, I'm told that the NEA is starting a similar book program in the United States, and I just wanted to remind you all that we were first. So that's it from Canada this week, where heating costs are going up even as the temperature and the government are going down. Try to stay warm or try to stay moving. Those are your options. I'm George Murray from BookNinja.com. Men! 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 In 2002, acting on a tip from a senior executive at one of the biggest conglomerate publishing houses in the world, Moby Lives, the blog, conducted a year-long survey of the New Yorker magazine, checking the table of contents each and every week to see how many of the contributors were women. As it turned out, the results were not encouraging. Less than a quarter of the magazine's contributors turned out to be women. In July, midway through the survey, Editor-in-Chief David Remnick was interviewed by USA Today about the survey. He promised things would get better. They didn't. On average, the contributions by women actually fell for the rest of the year. Moby Lives has decided to revisit the issue, this time checking out not just The New Yorker, but some of our other leading literary publications. The series will start this week by taking a look at The New York Review of Books. Okay, we've got the newest edition of the of the New York Review of Books. I'm I'm a subscriber, so I get it, I get it before all the peons. It's uh, it's the special holiday issue, dated December fifteenth, two thousand and five. There are um, let's see on the cover there are there are six articles cited. Um, they're all they're they're all, they're all by men. Uh, hmm. Let's go inside. Uh, the table of contents here now. We've got we've got. Um, well, let me just read it to you. Uh, I'll read the names in the table of contents. Joseph Lelyveld, Robin Robertson, uh, that, that, that's a man, Christopher de Balag, Ann Barton, that's, that's a woman, that's definitely a woman, Martin Filler, Michael Massing, uh, James McPherson, Anthony Grafton, Daniel Mendelson, Ingrid D. Rowland, that's, that's another woman there, Ingrid D. Rowland, uh, Michael Wood, P.N. Furbank, that, that's a man, Jeffrey O'Brien, Andre Asaman, Christopher Jenks, William Pfaff, Helen Epstein. The last name is Helen Epstein. That's, that's definitely a woman. Except that it seems that the Epstein piece, let's see here, it isn't, it isn't actually an article or a review. It seems it's, um, hmm, well, it's, it's, it's a short response she wrote to, uh, to several letters to the editor that they got complaining about 
factual errors in, in her previous article. Okay, so we, we can't really count this as, a, as an article or review. Um, so, uh, and, and the other letter writers did not get their name in the table of contents. I wonder what that's about. Anyway, we've got, uh, let's see, we've got, we've got 16 names here and, um, and how many of them are women? Let's see, let's see, um, hmm, two. Well, that's about, uh, two out of 16, it's about 12%. So there you have it. There are, uh, there are 12% of these articles in the current New York Review of Books are by women. Hmm. We're men and friends until the end and none of us are sissies. At night we sleep in separate beds and blow each other kisses and blow each other kisses. Men, 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 it's a ship all filled with men. So throw your rubbers overboard, there's no one here but men. I am here with Lucinda Carter of the French Publishers Agency in New York, and I, my first question for Lucinda is, what exactly is the French Publishers Agency? The French Publishers Agency is a small, private, public uh, literary agency that was set up by the Ministry of Culture along with um, their Centre National du Livre in France um, to help French publishers place their authors in the U.S. It gives them a local, on-the-ground representation, um, and it's a unique place. Uh, no other country has anything like it. Do you pinpoint certain books and certain manuscripts for specific American publishers? You take them around and propose them? Absolutely. We select... Uh, a few titles per season from a very broad range of French publishers from all over the country. Uh, the subject matter is very extended. Um, the type of author, the political stance, the uh, it could be a well-known author or a first novel. Um, we look for quality and some translatability in um, through the quality, I would say, uh, and perhaps for gaps in what's available here on a certain subject, um, either just a gap by chance or a gap that the French are particularly well-placed to fill. What would a gap that the French are particularly well-placed to fill be? The impression we got from what well, the echo from the the field in a way uh, the, out there in the U.S. was that if we had anything uh, to explain Islam, uh, Muslim culture, day-to-day -day life, either in a Muslim country or uh, something concerning current events, um, perspectives, they would welcome uh, anything we had. That's wonderful. So publishers also come, so American publishers also come to you for specific things that they need help with. Yeah, and uh, we then otherwise do a work of um, scouting the French market uh, through the catalogs, mostly uh, selecting these two or three books a season. Um, and we try to bring some very new things over that they didn't ask us for, you know, that might be a bit of a stretch or maybe has never been tried here in 
traditional book publishing, um, you know, some new format, uh, new definition of genre. I mean, nonfiction that they call fiction or vice versa. Um, we're always happy to try something new and uh, it's exciting when it works. Could you give us an example of some of the things you feel have worked? Uh, we've had a lot of success in the last few years with first fiction, which was quite a departure from the agency's track record, uh, which for the first, I would say, 20 years or so of their, since they were established, um, was very well known, especially in university press circles for the philosophy that they were representing um, and current affairs biographies and less for fiction. Um, there are several reasons possible for that, but uh, when I personally arrived and took over the agency at the beginning of 2002, there was a bit of a problem with nonfiction that was just published in France if it had anything to do with current events. And since a lot of the big philosophers had already been sold um, and were already coming out with American houses, we were slightly forced to look for an alternative and we tried fiction. It was really just uh, turning around and saying, well, let's look at what's going on in fiction. And we tried a few first novels and they did so well, at least at, at first at the sales point to the publisher. Um, license the licenses were were very satisfying to everybody so and then they actually have been doing so well on the market uh, despite I would admit a bit of lack of interest I think from the press here um, what's coming from France um, they're selling in a kind of stealth manner to someone out there is very hungry for translation and uh, so we kept on looking for more and more fiction until it became about 50% of our catalog up from 20% uh, in the 20 years previous. Wow, that's fascinating, also given the fact that American-French relations have not been so wonderful lately. Um, as a publisher, we brought out some French nonfiction, Bernard-Henri Lévy's Who Killed Daniel Pearl and War Evil in the End of History, and we had trouble, as you noted very discreetly, having the media um, pay as much attention as certainly we felt was deserved. But it's, it's interesting to me that your fiction is expanding at this time when Americans were, are, were turning away from France. What do you feel like were the ramifications of um, that whole sort of contretemps. I was asked that question by a number of French publishers. Is this going to have any ramifications on you and your work? And I said, I don't think so. I think this will be good for us <laughs> because it's publicity and it's also going to be interesting. And uh, we went forward that way and that's what happened uh, it, there was an element I think of uh, excitement when something French landed on someone's desk because it was sort of um, for whatever you know the taboo or something and um, the uh, the nonfiction that was current events uh, got more attention 
after a while. It took another a year or so for the nonfiction over there to catch up with where we were um, in our day-to-day realities here from end of 2001 until the end of 2002, I would say. Uh, and we started to be able to sell more current events. And um, so it had a positive effect on business, I would say, uh, and made it very interesting day to day. When you say very interesting day to day, were you acting as a bit of a cultural translator between, or is this one of your duties between French publishers and American publishers trying to explain each other's markets to them? I think that is a day-to-day reality for me, um, whether it's explaining why somebody needs to have the flexibility to publish in hardcover or paperback, or uh, because the assumption is that all American books will come out first in hardcover, and they think, oh my goodness, that's great, but then they don't realize that that may not sell the books, and that what we see translation uh, is doing extremely well in paperback original especially fiction. Um, I translate market realities to them, and I often exp- you know, have to explain the difficulty, unfortunately, uh, sometimes write to an author or sometimes to the publisher if there's not a succession in their interest in the next book and the next book and the next book. So, Lucinda, can you tell us um, what some of the more successful recent titles have been uh, for French writers in the United States? Uh, Well, I was just down at McNally Robinson in Soho the other day visiting uh, their relatively new store, I think one-year-old about. And um, it was very exciting to see that they have a European and international section, uh, which uh, is especially over in France uh, for my clients is going to be a great piece of news. Um, the Without knowing my connection to any of these books, uh, they pointed to one of your books first, um, and I swear that was completely um, coincidence, but the first book that they pointed to was Justine Lévy, Nothing Serious, um, as something that's been flying off the shelves, and uh, the other one was uh, the second book she pointed to, again, not knowing that we were connected to it, was the Anna Gavalda's novel, Someone I Loved, which is Riverheads. And um, those are both paperback uh, originals. So those two, I know, are doing very well. And otherwise, uh, there are some books that have been published uh, biographies of saints are doing very well. There's a Da Vinci Code tie-in to the French, I think. (laughs) So you're seeing fallout from the Da Vinci Code, no less. Could you tell us a little about that? Um, Well, you know, you you look at the royalty statements and some of the things that are selling in the backlist are some of the religious titles that were translated maybe a while ago from France. Um, it's it's interesting. When you say religious titles, is this? Um, do you think this is related to America's sort of turn towards more religious topics in general, and perhaps it's it's addressing that market? It, it could be. I think it's a. Bo- it may be a bit of all of that. It could be Da Vinci effect. Um, it could be. 
yeah, the growing religious market. Um, I think somebody one day told me the only the big markets are religion and medical books, or some that those are not flat markets in books, and um, so maybe that just is what's happening to our backlist as well. Well, I think we will um, take that good news about our book doing uh, Justine Levy's Nothing Serious, doing so well at Rand Mc, at uh, Rand McNally, excuse me, McNally Robinson in Soho, and. Um, and know that the Da Vinci Code still fights on in the, in the culture war. Um, and say thank you very much to Lucinda Carter from the French Publishers Agency. Thank you, Valerie. And that's our show for Thursday, the 8th day of December 2005. Thanks to Lucinda Carter for coming on the show and to George Murray for this week's Canada Report. Come back tomorrow. We're going to have the UK Report from Mark Thwaite of Ready Steady Book, one of Great Britain's truly great book blogs. In the meantime, our thanks to our engineer, Andrew Steinmetz, and to the crew here at Melville House, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marians. That's all for today. We'll see you tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget... That whale is out there, man. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither while they pass. They slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my open mind. Possessing and caressing me. Jai Guru Nothing's gonna change my world 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 Images of broken light which dance for me like a million eyes and call me on and on across the universe Thoughts meander like a restless wind inside a letterbox They stumble blindly as they make their way across the universe Oh,